break them down in twos. Nah, we do. Baby, read. I would tell people that, you know, how can you be so fun and jovial one time and wake up the next morning and feel like that it's the darkest day of your life? Welcome back, everybody. We got another edition of the Ball Street Journal. Two podcasts in one week. This might be a uh, all-time record for us, but um, I'm very, very, very happy to introduce one of my closest friends. I've known him for a decade now. He's a he's a creative guy. He writes. He does stand up. He does podcasting. I'm very happy to have him on. Ishan, want to say help, welcome to everybody. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And you know me for more than a decade. I think like 15, 16 years. You you pretty much know me as much as like anyone knows me because we moved around a lot and we moved here, we moved to South Brunswick in fifth grade. So anyone I knew before then doesn't know me anymore. <laughs> so like whoever I met like <laughs> in that initial period in fifth and sixth grade is are people who know me as much as anyone can know me besides my parents and my sister. So that's cool. And yeah, thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to uh, do this conversation. It's really important to me. Um, so let's, let's do it, man. Yeah, man. And for all of those that um, love Ishan like like I do and like what he has to say on this podcast, I want you guys to follow him. He's uh, on Instagram. You can find him as at Ish Scraps, I-S-H-S-C-R-A-P-S. Or if you want to listen to some of his uh, witty and uh, whimsical pieces of short stories, you can find him on Ish Goel, I-S-H-G-O-E-L at Substack.com. Uh, I'm really happy to have him on. He's, you know, Ishan's a guy that I talk to regularly. And one thing that we really talk about, which is maybe a little bit different um, than, than, than most friend groups, is we talk a lot about how do we make sure that we're as happy as we can be in life. And I think there's a lot for me to learn. And over the course of the last you know, five or six years, I think I've been seeing more and more of a push in not just um, you know, our lives, but in social media, in celebrity lives, about mental health. And that's what we want to talk about today. I think this last year has been really challenging for everyone. You know, people have dealt with COVID-19 in many different ways, whether it's sickness in, in themselves, sickness in their family members, loss of family members, issues with childcare or work. I think financially and you know, health-wise, it's been a really big issue. But I think so has the mental ramifications of what COVID-19 has been. I work as a doctor who takes care of cancer patients, and I can see this regularly. Patients are isolated from their family members. They can't bring them to their doctor's appointments. They can't bring them to their treatment appointments, and they they feel a little bit more lost than they I think they were years before. And I think this holds true for people in many industries, including healthcare. I see my coworkers really struggling with what COVID-19 has done to them, both from a work perspective, but also from an isolation perspective. And I'm in my late 20s, and I think one of the most jarring things about mental health that I didn't really think of growing up was, we all have an expectation of what we're going to be like when we're at a certain age. And the reality is, no one really knows exactly what you're going to be like. I knew I wanted to be a doctor many years ago, but now that I'm here, it doesn't always meet the, the expectations that I had and that sometimes leads to disappointment, 
that leads to burnout. And I think there is a change in talking about mental health in, in the United States community in general. Uh, and maybe it's lagging a little bit in, in the Asian community. Um, but I think even with their more increased conversations that people are having, there's still more and more reasons for mental health issues. One of those, in my opinion, is that it's becoming harder and harder to be quote-unquote successful in this day and age. Nobody really knows how to define success and it's, it used to be potentially that you had to have a good career, take care of your family, um, you know, the American dream of having a, uh, having a single family home, but it's becoming harder and harder that you have to be the best possible person in your very niche field. I mean, kids are getting private tutoring at a younger age and in terms of basketball, which is why we're really here, we're seeing these guys joining AAU and having all these high intensity games, becoming popular on social media, becoming Instagram celebrities, you know, before they're even able to vote. And I think that, that has a lot to do with mental health. And so I want to turn it over to Ishan to talk about why this is important to him and then, and then we'll get underway about how mental health is in the NBA. Definitely. So. I care a lot about mental health. I've had my own issues with anxiety and depression. A lot of my friends have told me about their issues. My family actually has a history of it, even if we're not willing to admit it. <laughs> you can just tell in the, I can just tell in the way, you know, they talk or the way that they react to things. Um, so it's both like something that happens to someone, but it's also sometimes something that's genetic. And I think one, one reason I haven't talked about it a lot until now is just because it's sometimes hard to tell if you have it or what it really means because it's almost like a myth. Like even if you support mental health, you may not actually see it on yourself, right? Because it's such it's been a taboo and even if you support it now, it might still be a taboo to you even if you don't think it's a taboo to society. So, you know, in my early to late 20s or now, um, by the way, I just found out I'm in my late 20s. I, I turned 26 last week and I thought I was in my mid-20s. <laughs> and then I talked to a friend. He's like, you're in your late 20s. And I'm like, yo, is there no mid-20s? And he's like, no, man, that's like a unicorn. It doesn't exist. And I'm like, what? It's, <laughs> it's like the, it, it's unlike the myth of central New Jersey. Yeah. There is a central New Jersey. We're, We're from literally there, from so. central New Jersey. We're equidistant from Pen uh, Philadelphia and uh, New York City. Like Pizza Delizia, man. I think that's what they're known for. That pizza shop is literally the right. equidistant point between Philadelphia and New York City. That's right. But yeah, dude, I was. I, I think what's hard is like, I think your twenties, like you said, are just a volatile time period. Um, I had a lot of shit happen. Like my mom was diagnosed with cancer right when I graduated. She was very lucky and survived, but that's something that could have went a lot worse and does for most people. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a multicultural background, so sometimes it's not very clear what your parents expect of you and what's a, like what the society outside of your household expects of you. I'm sure you can relate. There are different norms. Definitely, man. Um, and then, yeah, there are just the 20s shit. Like, I, you have to start a job. You left college where you had your closest friends. For me, I went to college in Michigan and then moved to New York City because of my mom's cancer and basically had to start from scratch. Uh, so, you know, there's some of it that runs in the, the family. There's some of it that's just triggered by these external events. And then there's just something about being in your 20s. So as much as I'd like for us to take depression, anxiety, and other mental health seriously, I also like want us to not take it too seriously because everyone, I think, will go through, through it at some level, at some point. And 
I think the best way to talk about it for us is through the NBA, you know, like, look, like that's what we used to ball. Like, that's how I got introduced to you and the group, the friend group that we have was playing basketball, pick up basketball um, in Monmouth Walk. And the biggest reason we stay in touch now in our group chat is because of the NBA. And so let's let's do it. Let's talk about it from the NBA perspective. And I think it'll be a little bit easier, too, because no matter how depressed, anxious, and distraught, and troubled, and traumatized these people are, they've got a lot of fucking money, and they have the resources to address it. So, you know, they're, they're great spokespeople for it, because they, they do have the, the resources to deal with it if, if they'd like to, and, and, like, inspire a bunch of other people that might find it hard to talk about. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. I think... Um, not, nobody is protected from issues with mental health, whether it's something transient or, or something you know that that persists and can really control your life. And basketball players are no different. I think growing up, we I, I idolized these people. You know, they could have no fallacy. They were rich and they were so talented. And there's there's something you know as a five foot nine Indian guy, like I was never going to be that, right? Like I was never going to be Carmelo Anthony. I was never going to be able to. <laughs> make make millions and millions of dollars playing a sport that even I enjoy to play. Obviously well, I, well, you, I never you had did have, ethic like you did either. have the best Euro step with Mama Walk, so give yourself a little bit of credit. Well <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, some people like to say that it was a travel, but I like to say it's a double pro hop. Well, well, um, well look now so, that now that Luca's in the league, it's never gonna be a travel. So you're, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think this is a great platform. I, I've been seeing more and more uh, athletes, um, not just in basketball, but, you know, in sports in general, speaking out about this and celebrities as well. And I, I can't I can't really think about, you know, I think my earliest memory of uh, somebody coming out and talking about it publicly was probably Jamar DeRozan and Kevin Love. I, I, I know that you, you know a lot more about this, so if you want to teach me a little bit about what is what is mental health been like in the modern history of the NBA. Yeah, I think people think that it all sort of started with Jamar DeRozan's tweet. He, he, he tweeted, this depression got, you know, get the best of me. You know, and I think that really started a conversation. And then shortly after that, Kevin Love came out and wrote a Players Tribune letter. So I think in terms of the public conscious, that's where mental health started in the NBA. But if we go a little bit farther back, there have been other, even more significant instances of it. So in 2010, Meta World Peace, after he won the championship with the Lakers, um, he didn't thank God, he thanked his psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, in 2012, wow. Royce White, uh, I'm sure you remember him, there was this whole issue with him yeah. like not being able to fly because it gave him anxiety and so his career pretty much ended and you know there were talks about him in college basically taking buses everywhere it was a lot easier for him but it's amazing like maybe that guy was super talented and just because of this one issue he didn't really stand much of a chance at playing a league that requires you to fly um and it's pretty sad because even i remember even when i i remember thinking about this guy you know back this was back when i was in college and uh I was not any better than anybody else. I remember being extremely harsh in my judgment of him being like, wow, you're like making millions of dollars to fly. Like, why don't you just do it as if it was his fault? And now, now, you know, almost 10 years since then, I feel very guilty about, about my 
you know, really bad judgment of mm-hmm. people who are really struggling. And, um, and yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we all felt that way. You know, I was even younger than you, so probably even more of a idiot and was like, yo, like, just fucking get on a plane, <laughs> which I do it all the time. Yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, we contribute to this problem as well. And this is why we want to, ha- I want to have this conversation because our words matter and the way we start to define and describe the world eventually permeates it and creates reality. So uh, I'm trying to like go against that. But to continue the timeline, 2012, Keon Dooling came out um, and talked about mental health. He actually wrote a, he wrote a Players Tribune letter as well um, a little bit later, and we'll get to that. But he suffered from a lot of um, paranoia. He was actually sexually assaulted when he was younger. And this all came to light for him after he went to the hospital while he was playing on the Celtics. And then, you know, there's this huge gap. I couldn't really find anything super significant. But then in 2018, we finally get to that tweet, man. Does Trepeshin get the best of me? DeMar DeRozan. And, and then we get the Kevin Love Player Tribune letter. And that's where it seems like that's where people seem to start caring in more of a pop culture way. And maybe, you know, part of it is that society had finally caught up to it like even though we we had all these instances and stories before 2018 maybe the like generally people weren't as conscious or cognizant or sympathetic to the problem and 2018 was this perfect concoction of like okay we've caught up you know we've, we've been through a lot of other social progression and now these players are talking about it so this is like that inflection point and then after that yeah. um, in 2020 we have paul george uh in the bubble talking about depression and how it hurt him and how he couldn't perform his best. We had the incident with Delonte West, um, who became homeless, who Mark Cuban actually uh, rescued and like try to like get him to get clean because he was having issues with addiction. And then more recently as a Nets fan, <laughs> and something that you've talked about a lot is Kyrie Irving, you know, Kyrie Irving took his famous hiatus that everyone has been shitting on him for. And uh, part of it, according to him, is due to some mental health stuff. So that's sort of the modern history. I mean, like, yes, is this is this everything? Absolutely not. Were players suffering from these issues in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? Definitely. Uh, and even like some social proof of that is Jerry West in an interview in the last few years. He talks about it. Um, and he talks about it saying there's nothing wrong with it it affects so many people and he mentions how even in his twilight you know this is this is the logo this is the logo that we're talking about um at least for now yeah. <laughs> we'll see we'll see if we'll see if it changes adam silver Kobe adam Bryant silver has no plans at the moment i'm glad he said at not at the <laughs> moment because i think that acknowledge i think he's smart enough to acknowledge that like He's not trying to be dogmatic. Like he, he knows that the symbol means something. Maybe we're not ready to change it right now, but that doesn't mean we can't change it ever. So this is why I love Adam, right. Adam Silver because he is this old white man. Gets how this works. Gets how the game is played. But but like respects this new wave of cultural progression. So anyway, Jerry Jerry West talks about like how it affected him, and he he says try to get as much information as you can. Try to seek help. I wish I had done that at an early age. Frankly, I was even embarrassed to even talk about it at that point in my life. And that's a common theme as we go through these letters of, of how people want to talk about this, just getting help and, and being honest about it as much as you can. Yeah, but that, that that's sorry, that, that but that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. And 
you know, I'd love to do a little bit more research into like, are there any accounts of it before this modern history that we have on the internet? Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe another podcast. I, I totally, I totally think that there probably is. I, it probably was masked in some other way rather than mental health because that wasn't as much of a hot topic at the time. I mean, I know that in, when when the NBA was sort of sort of conceived um, in the fifties and sixties, you had a lot more racial justice, which could you know, which 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 could mask mental health issues. You know, guys like you know guys that were the pillars of what our NBA is, like Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, they were they were doing a lot of work in making sure that there was equality. And then all the way into the 90s and 2000s, I'm sure that that exists. But I, I really appreciate learning this sort of modern history of mental health. And I kind of want to delve a little bit more into these specific conversations. And I think I'm, I, I really want to applaud NBA players in general for empowering themselves to put these letters out there so we can get a snapshot of what they were going through because for us yeah they're millionaires but you know they just because you're millionaires does not solve the the problems that you can have um and that you're dealing with and sometimes can make it worse because you got people coming out of the woodworks asking for money it's kind of like the same thing that people who win the lottery go through so can, can we take some time and delve more into um each specific letters and how they sort of affected us and what we learned from them. Yeah. So I want to start with Keon Dooling. I believe he was, even though it wasn't heavily publicized, or at least I didn't know about it, it sounds like you didn't, uh, he was actually the first person to write a Players' Tribune letter, I believe. And he starts off by saying, and it's called Running from a Ghost. Great title. And he talks that by saying, it was my second day in the mental institution, and I was suffering from paranoid delusions and shivering in the fetal position. All of a sudden, the nurse came into my room and told me that I had a visitor. The guy walked into the room, and then the guy said it all. He wasn't looking at me like, Keon's lost his damn mind. He wasn't looking at me like, Keon's a psychopath. When Doc heard that I had committed myself to the hospital, he flew up to Boston to see me, all the way from his summer house in Florida, at the drop of a hat. I can't imagine what he must have thought seeing me like that. And what he said to Keon was, you want to tell me something? What happened, son? So it starts like that. And I'm not going to obviously, you know, you can go read this letter if it interested you. But some important things from this letter is he talks about how he had just signed a $1.4 million contract. And he was months away from training camp and he was in the best shape of his life, at least on the outside. But on the inside, he was falling apart. And yeah. the cool thing about this is, like, I'm amazed at the Celtics organization, right? Like, Doc, their understanding, talks a lot about the players, also, like, Rajon Rondo. And we all know Rajon Rondo is a really smart guy. Um, and what he told Doc was, like, something bad happened to me when I was a kid, real bad. I blocked it out, and now it's all coming back, Doc. So just as a preview, you know, for anyone, this, we're, this is going to be about, like, sexual assaults. Um, so, you know continue listening at your own discretion but the story is basically that he was playing basketball one day when he was 14 and then it was raining so one of the older kids invited him in or actually he was seven sorry he was seven man i, I didn't even see that detail the older kid was 14 and invited him into his apartment and then suddenly he turned on the tv started playing a porn video 
Um, he said it didn't freak him out because he had older brothers and he had seen magazines and stuff. But he was really <laughs> too young to be looking at that stuff. And then suddenly when the scene ended, the guy told him, the 14-year-old kid was like, you know, I can do that too. And then he touched him and he forced him to perform oral sex on him. And, you know, uh, he said after that, he went home, he just sat in the shower and started crying. He kept crying and he kept crying. Um, and he told, uh, he says in this letter, I was compensating for the anxiety and fear that I had to keep suppressed. I channeled all my rage and anger into sports. I had to show everybody that I was strong, that I was an alpha, that it, nobody could mess with me. Um, and he talks a lot of... Isn't that crazy, man? Isn't that crazy that, like, you know, he had been dealing with this for so, so, so long. And because of what public perception of what a, 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 a you know, a black athlete needed to be like, you know, or, or what a man needed to be like. I mean, I just think that that kind of preconceived societal notion makes this kind of situation worse because you feel like even if there's something you want to talk about, and I'm very proud of our friend group. We talk about this a lot more um, about mental health and things that we're going through. But like back, back then uh, 2012, you know, this was, this, this is, that's when he wrote the letter. So this was way before that. There's this societal norm that actually forced worsening of mental health. And that's, that's amazing that he dealt with all this. And I'm, I'm, Super happy to. I mean, back then I didn't hear anything about the Boston Celtics, so this was all happening not because of some social media stunt. It was, yeah. We we would rather we would rather hear stories about, uh, like someone's girlfriend in the NBA, right? Like there's probably more news about that than yeah. this amazing job the Celtics did to help Keon doing. It's a crazy, and you know I'm not blaming anyone. Gossip is fun, but. You know, hopefully we can continue to talk about some of this other stuff too. Um, just to wrap up some of his letter, and I don't know if he actually wrote this, but as a writer myself, I find this super, super eloquent because he summed up that day beautifully, like as a poem. And he said, The rainy summer day, the elementary school playground, the two sodas, the apartment, the porno, the older kid, the knife in my handlebars, the shame, the pain. We just wanted to play basketball. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> and you can you can so feel good. the pain in, the, in in what he's writing. Yeah, and he ends it with um, kind of how you'll see everyone end it. He talks about he says, "If you're hurting, get some help." I'll say it again: If you're hurting, get some help. You can call out to God, but your second call should be the doctor. And probably as as a as a doctor yourself, you, you agree. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, reach out to anybody, you know, there's hotlines, there's a lot of things, a lot of support systems out there, and, you know, for anybody that's listening to this right now, that has, has, deals with something like this, you know, reach out to us personally, if, if, if you know us, or, you know, look, look up the hotline and get the help that you need, and people are, people, you matter, and people care about you, and so we hope that you're able to take care of yourself as people would want you to be taken care of. Um, I think we have a lot more, I think we have a lot more um, details about other player tribunes. And I, you know, I want to get your input. I think I want to spend time talking about each one. And so maybe we'll save some of the other player tribunes for another time. And I want to spend a little bit of time in the next few minutes before we wrap up um, talking about why you feel 
like, you know, he had to deal with this for so many years and and how much credit you think he should get for being able to succeed so well in such a competitive industry to get to where he was while sort of suffering from this all the time. And as someone who sort of spends a lot of time thinking about mental health, I wanted to get your input on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, first first of all, I want to echo some of the comments you raised earlier. Like, hey, if you need some help, someone needs some help, reach out. Uh, reach out to me as well. I am not a therapist, but <laughs> I've seen therapists. I've even tried medications. Uh, I I pretty much have tried everything, like, you know, exercise, meditation, sports. I, I'm pretty open to anything, and... I'm not saying I have all the answers, but maybe I can like give you some advice or give you some directions, um, anything really. And especially if you're a dude, I think there are a lot of brown women, South Asian women, who are starting like Instagrams and all of this, talking about mental health, but not a lot of men. And I'm glad we're doing this because <laughs> I feel like South Asian men are both like our major reasons for the issues of mental health <laughs> in our communities, right? So and 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 also we're 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 victims of it too. It, there's no black and white here, but I think yeah. if men don't talk about it, then what 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 are we gonna do? Anyway, yeah, man, I can't obviously I can't speak to um, Keon's credit. Like, I I think he all, he deserves a lot of credit because he <laughs> survived. You know, like he the consequence of a lot of this stuff is suicide. So the fact that he found reasons to keep doing what he loves and and get help means that he deserves a lot of credit. But I also want to be careful because if someone doesn't do that, and this is and this is the issue I think we have in this mental health space is we think that if people get help and don't kill themselves that they deserve credit because they take an action. But some people's conditions are so, is so bad that they can't seek help, right? They can't get out of bed. They don't have basketball. They don't have a routine. Like Keon, in some ways, in some ways, doesn't deserve any credit. Yeah. And I'm just being loose with my words. Like he had such a system around him, right? He had practices to go to. He had people to talk to. He had players. And I remember when I was in high school. I don't think I was actually ever depressed in high school. But if right. I was depressed, I could have just like went through the motions because everything was set up for me right i just go to school i go to track practice do my homework and yeah i could just flow it on by but really it's when you don't have structure and systems in place and people who care about you where it becomes really hard so when we give too much credit to people like Keon, we're also shaming um i think people who don't do those things and are not understanding that they may not have the stuff that Keon did to even take those steps. Um, similar to me, like I've dealt with depression, anxiety, and I'm doing really well these days. But it's because I was really lucky. Like I was lucky to have friends like yourself and others who don't take these as taboos. I'm lucky to have parents that are, are willing to talk to me about this, um, which I think most a lot of South Asian parents won't. Lucky to have had like Capital One money that I earned to one get healthcare and get uh, therapists and try meds. Um, you know, so I don't know. Like I think he deserves as much credit as any human being trying to be a human being. And 
I'm very happy that he was able to play basketball, have a decent career, and get help, and is now being an advocate. And actually, probably the thing I want to applaud him the most for is he is now the leading the charge in the NBA. He's like the player advocate, you know. So he he not only had this experience, but is now trying to help other players. So I do applaud him for that. But it's all just to say, like, yes, he's a human being. He deserves credit for his living his life. But at the same time, we have to be careful not to give people too much credit because we don't want to take away the challenges from other people that may not be able to go through those steps because they didn't have the same resources, privilege, or support. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a very poignant point. Um, I think it's very easy for us to give credit for people's uh, experiences. And I think what you said, I echo 100%. I'm so glad that he's taken such a negative experience in his life and he's trying to promote change and he's trying to help other NBA players who may be suffering from this exact same thing. Um, With all of that said, I I really, really hope that our listeners enjoyed our conversation today about the NBA, about mental health, about their own personal experiences. And I want want to continue the conversation. I think, um, you know, mental health is a very broad term and everyone deals with things differently. So in subsequent podcasts, I want to delve a little bit more into other player experiences. And in the future, I want to talk a little bit about what the NBA is doing currently to help promote better well-being, both from a physical perspective, but more so in in this conversation a mental health perspective. So thanks so much, Ishan, for for coming on. Um, And thanks for this idea. I mean, I think I've been thinking about this ever since the Kyrie, since I'd seen media sort of bashing on Kyrie. And I'm, I'm really glad that I got to learn a lot from you. And I hope that all of our listeners got to learn a lot from you about the, the state of mental health in the NBA, a little bit of the industry, and uh, we, you know, more specifically about what Kenan Dooling has went through and what he's contributing to now for the NBA. Yeah, dude, I, I really appreciate this. Um, mental health matters a lot to me. I'm glad you're giving me a platform to talk about it in the most fun way as that I can for such a serious topic, which is just talking about what we love, watching basketball, talking about the NBA. Um, I remember listening to your podcast when it first came out and the audio was trash. And you guys are you guys have always been fun, but if the audio is trash, it's really hard <laughs> to listen. So I probably listened about a third of the way through, gave up, tried really hard for you because you're my friends, but had to give up so i'm really glad you you you're changing your content you, you have good audio now and one day i really hope to listen to you guys as much as i listen to like zach Lowe or bill simmons all those so that's that's the goal and i hope to be a part of this project and i just want to leave off with one last thing from keon because he has been the subject of our discussion um and last thing is and something that's poignant to me is he says when we have diabetes, we go get treated. When we tear our ACL, we go get surgery. But if our heart is broken, or if our soul is hurting, what do we do? Yeah, man. And I think we'll leave it off at that. Um, thanks for listening to this edition of the Ball Street Journal. I want to shout out Ishan for coming on, and I want to shout out uh, Cindy for helping produce this podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it, and we hope you tune into the next edition of um, us talking about mental health in, in the NBA. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.